every audience is unique. So like you're saying, that's why you have to experiment because what I say, what you say, we could find it works like 99% of the time and you could be that 1% that doesn't. Um, so, so give it a try. Like, and it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to try it, right? I mean, maybe not, maybe not like we didn't do it on our year-end campaign or our, <laughs> or our Giving Tuesday campaign, but, but find those times when you can, when you can give something a try. I'm curious, I know I've heard this story before, but I'd love just for the recording to get it is how did you find your way into marketing, but then specifically email marketing? Because I know that's where you kind of it seems like that's where you focus. So correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, what was your squiggle into marketing and then email marketing at nonprofits? So I actually have a degree in music education. Uh, I was a music teacher for many years and uh, went into music therapy. And then I was working at a uh, at a nursing facility mm. and at the time doing music at a nursing facility and we the the facility had a facebook page and they were like john you have a facebook page you're gonna run our facebook page because we don't know anything about facebook and i was like because it was my boss i was like yes i will do that <laughs> um and then i quickly started to learn everything i could <laughs> about Facebook marketing and social media marketing um, got involved in groups and, you know, I was taking the pictures and uh, I really found a love for it. Like it was just so, it was just uh, the, such the real time results that you get with, with digital marketing. So at the time it was just social media, but then it just grew from there. So it became, you know, Facebook and then it became all the social media sites and then it became email and website. And I love to be able to to test things and, and to try, you know, this post versus this post. And it was like, wow, like in 10 seconds, I can see which one is, you know, already, already outperforming the other. And, um, you know, just like, just that, like I said, just that real time, um, feedback, right. That, that you yeah. can't get so much sometimes with, with, um, print, it just takes a little longer. Uh, so that's, so I, that's kind of, I started just falling in love with digital marketing from, from social media, uh, really kind of started branching out. So I took some from there, I went back and got uh, cert- certified in digital marketing and started working for some for-profit companies uh, in the IT space, doing email, writing content, being a content manager uh, as well. And then from there, it's, you know, uh, it was just just from there trying to get more specific and then got into the nonprofit space. Um, uh, I was actually recruited into it. Uh, the story goes... Um, the story goes, you know, I was I was called from a recruiter and um, he said, hey, I may have an opportunity for you here in the area. I don't know if you've ever heard of this person called Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. And my age, uh, it was like, I wanted to be like, duh. Uh, but, um, you know, we're coming to that area where era where it's not as he's not as known, but but mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, I mean, it would almost be like you said, like compassion and almost be like saying, have you ever heard of a group called compassion? Uh, it's like, yeah, <laughs> if you're, you know, if you're in the religious space, you know who Billy Graham is. So I jumped at that opportunity. That that was a more specific role in, in email marketing, not just digital, but but email marketing. And I was doing the marketing and then that kind of evolved into fundraising. Uh, we can get more into that, but just the the difference between marketing and fundraising. Um, mm. There's so many nuances. Just like there's differences between direct mail and email and and social media, right? It's it's not clear cut. Follow these guidelines. So 
Yeah, I got into that. I'm now working at a, uh, another organization, another Christian organization. They're an Orthodox Christian seminary. Um, and now I'm back doing uh, the broad stroke again, um, uh, doing digital fundraising for, for the seminary. Um, so I do everything from email, uh, writing the copy again, working on the landing pages, just doing everything digital, not actually just digital. I'm actually doing the, the direct mail as well. So, Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. My official title, if it matters, is director of annual giving. So I'm in charge of all unrestricted gifts uh, for what we call the general donors. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to get into the blurring lines between online and offline and how they've kind of merged together and kind of your observations and experience with that. But before we do, you mentioned something I know all listeners, as you said, you know, there is a difference between fundraising and marketing. But what did you mean by that? And what have you discovered the difference and or similarities between those? Because a lot of times they're they're seen together, but then functionally they're siloed sometimes in organizations. Many of our listeners probably are in organizations like that. So what's your take on either the synergy or differences between fundraising and marketing? For me, marketing is, I don't say it's more the awareness, but it's, it's just kind of, I don't say even it's just getting the message out, but it kind of is, right? It's just letting people know what's happening in, in one way, um, whether it's an event or it's, you know, like in a nonprofit space, you know, these are the things that are going on in the organization. Um, it's, it's about, you know, providing value. It's, it's getting people involved. It's about just getting people become, like I said, people aware of what's happening. What I'm finding more and more is with fundraising, it's a lot more direct. Uh, I think, I think the, for me, marketing, like I said, is more kind of like a broad stroke. It's a, you know, trying to reach, I don't say more people, but it's, it's just, it's just wider. Uh, whereas fundraising, I really tried to, to hone in on the language and the segments and the audience and, and what what we can do and, and really very specific purpose. And it's almost it's almost like a marriage, in my opinion, uh, although I have no experience with sales. Um, so maybe not the best person to say this, but it's almost like like fundraising is almost marketing and sales. Like you have to do top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel. Like it is not just top of the funnel work. It's it's all of it. it you have to you have to market, but then you also have to, to sell, you have to, you convert, you have to convert uh, in, in dollars, right? Not just converting maybe in with digital marketing, it's maybe, okay, well, let's just get people to the landing page or let's get people to, to download our ebook and let's get people to watch this video. All great, all very important. In fundraising, that's halfway there. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, let's get people to watch that video and then let's figure out a way to get them to donate after that. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that's kind of how I, I've evolved with, with marketing and then, and then fundraising. Yeah, and I think what is interesting about that is I've even seen marketers evolve because they used to be focused more on, especially within nonprofits, it was more of like Marcom. So like more communications, branding, PR, messaging, and now I think as marketing has evolved and become more in line with fundraising, I'm seeing an evolution where marketers are actually looking at the full kind of supporter journey from start to end and not just after, not to the transaction, but even through like looking at lifetime value. And that's where now the partnership with development or with the fundraising function becomes more, uh, there's more of an appetite for it, um, given that they're both looking at the full lifetime value of a supporter and the full experience of a supporter as well. Absolutely. And I would agree with that. And that's part of the role, part of the reason I took on the role I took on 
um, recently was because it was more inclusive. It was more like you're saying full journey. So it wasn't just the, okay, now we got, you know, now we got your donation, but how are we going to cultivate you? How are we going to steward you? Um, so that you come back, as you said, donor value, you know, year after year, because it, it, it can't be just a one and done. Um, yeah. you know, and that's, that's what, that's what gets me excited. It's like, how can you, how can you use digital? It's almost full circle, right? Kind of what you're saying. It's almost like marketing with, with fundraising and then back to marketing again. So yeah, it, it just goes around and, and that's, that's what's, it's nice having both those components uh, to be able to marry those two. Hey friends, Emily here from Feather, taking a pause from this stripped down conversation to share a quick story. The International Justice Mission, or IJM, is a global nonprofit with a mission to end childhood slavery in our lifetime. Each year end, IJM runs a holiday gift campaign that gives supporters real life stories of the impact a gift can make. But as another year drew to a close and goals got bigger, the IJM team decided to partner with us to level up their digital campaigns. IJM used Feather's nonprofit marketing platform and support from their Feather Copilot to launch multiple campaigns around the web to expand their reach to a larger audience. The result? They brought in $109,500, the highest amount they had ever received through digital ads. By meeting their donors where they were, IJM was able to close out a difficult year with a big win. Feather is trusted by nonprofits of all shapes and wingspans, from the arts to animal welfare and everything in between. Don't rely on magic this year end. Use Feather to streamline your digital marketing campaigns and exceed your goals. Learn more and get started today at feather.co. That's feather without the last e dot co. Here on Unplugged, we like to get into the weeds. So I'd love to talk about like specific campaigns with you or things that have worked versus things that haven't worked. And let's start off with the things that haven't worked. You know, there's always more scraps on the floor than successes. So are there things that you've maybe done in the last year or campaigns you've run that you had high hopes for and they just fell flat? Or maybe an optimization that you had that was just like, it actually didn't matter yeah, so a couple things I can think of. Um, so one of the campaigns, we, we run a lot of tests. I love testing things. So I, I don't know if we would say it fell flat, but at some of our surprises um, along the way, um, I'm usually wrong about our testing as well. That's why we have hypotheses because I'm usually wrong. But one of them is uh, we, we did one for getting first-time donors to become second-time donors, um, donor retention. And we were looking at the digital, the digital campaign aspect of it. And the emails were the same, but it was like the landing page. It was kind of the friction. How much friction could you have? And obviously, you know, my thought was, well, the less friction, the better, right? So we were going to offer an ebook, and then on the same page, we were going to ask them to donate. Basically, you get it all all together, one right? Less friction. That that's what you need. Um, that's what everybody talks about. No friction. Make it easy for the person. We tested it, so we've tested it. You know. They would hit the, you know, they would hit, I want the ebook. They would get an ebook page and a, and a, and the donate form on the same page. And then we, we broke it up. We said, okay, click on the ebook. And then once you get the ebook, we'll send you another email with the donate page or, or you go to another page. You won't get an email, excuse me, but another page that will have the donate, right? So now you've added another step in between. Well, that actually performed better. Hmm. That extra step performed better than, than having all that, and having less friction. And now we can kind of look back at it and be like, well, there was maybe a psych- psychological component to it. It was like, well, they felt like they finally received their ebook and then they were willing to give. 
Whereas we're having everything on one page was, was maybe overwhelming or something. So that was one of them. Um, kind of a small, a small, fun little, it's not so much a campaign, but something we tested was uh, emojis. Um, so be, I'm, I said, uh, email person here. So everybody's using emojis. Everybody loves emojis. The people that are listening to this podcast know I love emojis. Yeah, uh, I, I, I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah, great. they're great, right? And uh, we did a little research and like every everywhere you go, like half of them will tell you use emojis and the other half will tell you don't. So we tested it to see. And again, I, I kind of give you a disclaimer. It was with our audience. It did not work. Hmm. The, the, the emojis, they got about the same, they got about the same amount of open rate, maybe slightly less open rate. And the donations went way down on the emoji email. Hmm. Um, so that was a surprise. Like, I mean, I was for sure, like you said, you love emojis. I was for sure certain that emojis were going to rule. Um, again, maybe it's because our demographic was older. But I think that's actually a key lesson, though, because you best practices aren't always best for you or even guidance isn't best. You know, your best benchmark is your own experience and your own data. Um, and so that's a great example, whereas someone listening to this might have the opposite experience. They use emojis and their donations went up or their engagement went up or their ticket sales went up. But for you all, it didn't. And so we have to take those best practices we have to hold them loosely and try them and test as Brady Josephson talked about, like you have to experience or experiment because our assumptions don't matter. <laughs> They're just a hypothesis. Right. And, and I, and the other thing I'd like to say is every audience is unique. So like you're saying, that's why you have to experiment because what I say, what you say, we could find it works like 99% of the time and you could be that 1% that doesn't. Um, yeah. So, so give it a try. Like, and it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to try it. Right. I mean, uh, maybe not, maybe not like we didn't do it on our year end campaign or our, <laughs> or our giving Tuesday campaign, but, but find those times when you can, when you can give something a try. But yeah, I guess those would be kind of the two that, that draw my attention for surprises for campaigns that, that didn't quite, quite work like we thought it would. Yeah. But what's lovely about those examples and many of the others that guests have shared is there was still a learning. It wasn't that it didn't work and then that was over. It was a continued story. There was something that you could take. And learning almost requires some sort of failure because it enables you to, to know that something didn't work or let's try something else and we can now move on from that idea and try something different. So it's always great. Yeah, I love that's why I love testing because actually testing at asks, I end up with more questions than answers. I, I feel like even when a test performs really well and you, you know, you kind of like, okay, this is, this is where we can go from here. I still feel like there's a few more questions that, that you can pull from it and be like, oh, but what if, like, what if we tweaked it this way? Would it perform even better? Like, could we, could we, you know, increase the, the conversions like by another 1%? I mean, that's just, that's how I like to operate. So like you're saying, it's, it's continual and that's, that's what's fun for me. I mean, that's like, even if this is crazy, but even if emojis didn't work for us, you know, last year, like give it three years and we'll try it again. And it, and it might work. Like we, we might yeah. have a new audience. We might have a younger audience. I mean, who knows what it was, but yeah, it's like in the digital world. And that's the beauty of the digital world is you can just so easily change things and, and try it out. One thing you mentioned is um, that I want to uh, kind of double click on was you said, you know, everyone's audience is unique. How have you found ways to better understand your audience? Like a big part of it is guessing or hypothesis, more questions than answers. So how do you 
approach learning more about your audience? And if you have an example of things you've done to learn about your audience, I'd love to love for you to share that. Yeah, I think I could tell you where my my preference is. Most people will tell you, and we've done this a few times as surveys. And there's a bit of a, I've been at places where where surveys were like we're not we're not doing a survey. Uh, I've been at places where they're like, yeah, let's survey, let's find out. But my honest opinion is the way you find out is you put things out there and you find out how people behave. <laughs> you find, you know, you you report, you see what people click on, you see you you test, but you you know you try testing called action buttons and see what this is. You try putting together newsletters and seeing uh, what the what main story is going to grab people. You know, and then and then you kind of extract it from there, and then try to to filter it out f- from going forward. But I have found personally that the best way to find out things is is to put it out there and and let them tell you by their actions, and not by their words. Because um, because right, because there's, there's probably stories about that too. So many people who like they'll tell you one thing, they'll say, "Oh yeah, I love." blue buttons like blue buttons are they're so pretty and then you know like you put an email together and there's a blue button on it and nobody clicks on it and you're like well let me try a green one then and everybody clicks on it so you can you can hear things and we're all like that right we we see things we think we like but then that's why we test and and that's why we try things yeah Absolutely. I think uh, there's a metaphor someone said is that like, your batting average can be lower than most, but as long as you're swinging more often, you're going to hit more. So like, even if my batting average is 30% versus someone else doing 60%, if I swing four times as much, like I'm, I'm actually performing better. And I think it is about that, like just taking the chance, pressing send, trying new things, but doing it in like a an intelligent way. So that's the other thing I was going to ask, you know, you've had tons of experience doing experiments. How do you structure them in a way where you actually get to learn from the experiment? Because I think people might say, yeah, we've tried the green button and the blue button, but like they don't have a framework for it. What's your take on how to structure experiments so they are useful going forward versus just like, oh, we tried something. I learned that the hard way too. Uh, I've been in situations where it was like, well, I think this subject line might work, might work better than that subject line. So let's try them both. And that eventually got to the point where I was like, but what, but what are we trying? Like, like, that's a wonderful idea, but like, what, how, how can we take that and then apply it for future, for future emails in this case? So I kind of put together a little, almost a, a say proposal, I put together a paper procedure for how we approach testing and helped me kind of solidify what, what I'm looking for. And, and before we can test something, I need to know, you know, why are we testing it? And, and then, like, like, specifically, why are we testing it? Not just to see if this is a better open rate or this is a, is a better click rate, but, like, you know, what about it is different? So is this subject line a question and this subject line a statement? Um, is this subject line something that is curious? Does it kind of intrigue you versus something that's informational, like, like today is giving Tuesday, very informational versus, you know, something that kind of as curiosity. So I've tried that when I look at testing, I'm very specific about not just we're not we're not testing subject lines, we're talking specific subject lines, like, and then can we replicate it? Because we can replicate a question versus a statement, or we can replicate a curiosity statement versus an informational statement, right? I mean, so that that's what I'm looking for. And that's what I try to get when I when people come to me and say, let's test this, I try to really get 
focused on well, like what specifically are we testing? And then can we use the results, whether good or bad, for future campaigns? Uh, and that's, if, it's, if, it, we, if it, you can't do it again uh, the same way, you know, then, it, then it's really not worth it. Uh, maybe other people have been in my situation, I hope so, uh, where you test a subject line or like a button color and it's like, okay, but we're not, we're not going to do that subject line again. Um, or we're not going to send that campaign out again, or then to me, it's a, it's a waste. It's more of a, it's more of a wish like, oh, we're going to try this, but like, you're never going to compare it again. So yeah. So the more, the more specific, the more that you can understand how you would, how you would do it again, if you had to do it again, just because you do a test once doesn't mean you shouldn't try it again. Then, then that's, that's where I try to find myself when I, when I put together tests. Yeah. That's excellent. Well, we talked about the scraps on the floor, but I would love to know things that you've learned or things that maybe are even applicable. Maybe they're not specific things, but things that have gone really well over the last year, whether it's related to email or digital campaigns in general. What are some of your big takeaways from 2022 that you're carrying into 23? Yeah, I think from a from a bigger view, uh, I mentioned this before. So the more you can segment, the more you can define an audience, the better your campaigns will be, I think. And by that, I just mean, you know, not sending, whether it's, whether it's direct mail or email, not sending to everybody just because you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just really kind of the, the more, and I talked about behavior, the more you can learn from your audience, what they like, whether it's certain content, whether it's certain programs, whether certain events, the more you can tailor your message to that audience, the better that will perform. Uh, that's was, that's pretty much hands down. I, I mean, I haven't I haven't seen anything to go against that yet, really. I mean, so I'd say the smaller, but take the time to to split it in half if you need to, and and send one message to one group and one to another group. That has always performed better for us, and that's really. The, the it's really hard to know your audience. I know we talked just talked about that. You know whether you ask them or, but the more you can learn about them and take those cues, the the better your campaigns will perform. Learning from them and just kind of tweaking them as you go along, that's a big thing. I think uh, you know segment personalization. Uh, you know that's a huge that's a huge thing for for nonprofits. I still think we have a lot of work to do in the personalization space. And it's something I've been focusing on, which goes hand in hand, right, with with um, with segmenting. So there's kind of that I've learned that I think from just a smaller standpoint, personally, I've just learned how to be a better fundraiser um, as far as as copy goes, as far as writing. And maybe it's from a difference between being in a larger organization, a smaller organization, and, and just kind of how you can approach things. And like we almost like we talked about at the earlier with kind of marketing, where it's kind of like a you know, you could just kind of be more vague about what you do and who you are and what you need. When when it comes to fundraising, at least this year, I've learned, uh, maybe I'm low, slow to learn. Um, the more specific you can be, pick one thing, focus on that in one email, and don't try to get cute or fancy. Just just tell them what you need. I mean, paint a story, paint a picture, tell the story, excuse me. Um, but but really just focus on that and, and, mm-hmm. and don't try to, like I'm doing, elaborate too much. Um, <laughs> just be, be direct, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, be direct, right? I mean, 
you know, and when we're going through that, I know direct mail is a little different. It's, it's a longer form and that's fine. But I still think even in that sometimes in direct mail, I'm learning that it, it can wander. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, then you're going to lose people because we don't have the attention spans and people really want to get engaged and want to be involved. But you have to be specific with them. I almost want to say you have to hit them over the head with, you know, this is what it is. We need, this is a problem. You're the solution. And this is how you can be the solution. It's, it's not, I say it's not more than that. It's a little longer than that, but don't try to give them four solutions. Yeah. But instead of getting too artful or distracted in your own storytelling, even like, yes, tell a story, but do it in as little and mo- most direct way as possible. Um, whether that becomes a two page thing or, a, you know, a paragraph, that's fine. It's just like only what you need to be clear exactly what the next thing is. It's per- persuasive writing. I know my colleague uh, previously was always like, people are good at writing, but people are terrible at persuasive writing. <laughs> so it's like you get this copywriter who's like, ah, oh, wincing and waning. And it's like, no, we're trying to persuade someone to take an action or to move or activate them into a specific direction. That is a different approach than copywriting for copywriting's sake. And so mm-hmm. it, it always it takes a different perspective on the writing to be really, really good at it. But that's that's great advice, John. You know, we're all in the midst of like planning and kind of thinking about next year. Um, what are you, especially as you look at the broader digital landscape and you know, you're over even direct mail, digital, where are you investing more next year versus investing less? Yeah, I think digitally we're investing more on multi-channel approach for one. What does that look like for you guys? Like, what does that mean? Because I think everyone wants to do that, but then in practice, it's like it falls flat. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. like ah, right. And and it's hard because we're not quite there yet. But but it's it's and it's not just adding a channel, uh, um, but it's adding a channel with with specific reasons and then how to and how to utilize those those channels in, in the best way. Um, so so for us, I mean, we're looking at. This year for us, actually, at the place I'm at now, we really hadn't used email, believe it or not, to fundraise before. Maybe maybe once or twice, maybe a few little small things, but just um, adding adding another adding another way to speak to people, learning those ways, but but using it in a in a intentional way, maybe is a better way to say that. So using those channels and and learning how to for me is learning how and when to use them. Right. So when is the best time to use email? When's the best time to use direct mail, um, maybe less than email, but not but email you can use more, but when's it become annoying and, and when does it become too much? And then text, again, those same questions like, like, okay, how can you use text? Because you can't write an email in text and what what's appropriate? And I mean, honestly, we're learning this. Um, we're learning this in email um, and, and going forward, we're going to be learning this in, in other things and other channels as well. Uh, we're still a pretty growing organization as far as communication goes, right? So not even just those ones, but talking about phone. Like um, one of the other things I'll talk about maybe later is, is automation and how to use multiple touch points and and the timing of it. And and so not only text, but phone, like picking up the phone and, and when's a good time to call them maybe in like a cultivation journey or yeah, or a donor retention journey, um, so to speak. So just... Uh, believe it or not, we are. We're still. We're <laughs> email is still kind of young for the organization I'm at right now, um, but we're looking at adding more. Of, uh, make sure we're getting on the phone to our major donors and and other donors. Uh, this year we did a what we call a thankathon, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we're at a seminary, so uh, we have a lot of students there. We're higher education. So we had the students pick up the phone. Uh, we provided them a list of, of donors and said, I provided them a script and said, you know, here's here's what you say. And here's what you say in this case and in this case. And here's how you leave a voicemail. And, you know, just doing that is is a multiple channel approach, right? I mean, it's not fancy. It's not digital <laughs> either. But um, I think think the more that we can kind of put these channels together, like I said, in an intentional way, purposeful way, a way that makes the way that makes it easy for the donor or the non-donor, um, where you don't become annoying, but but you you become part of who they are and they feel involved and they feel compelled. That's what we're looking at doing. And, and it's honestly, it's a learning experience for us. Are there other areas you're investing more in as you head into next year outside of multi-channel? Yeah. So the other one is is automation and not just automating, not just automating emails or or anything, but like automating more that we can automate. Um, things like like list cleaning, things like reports, like this the little things that kind of take up our time, but we can easily automate and we could better use other places. And I know there's kind of a oh no, it's it's automation. It's going to take our jobs away. But um, <laughs> I don't I don't think of it that way. I think it, you know, email uh, automation as as a way for us to to kind of one helps us gives us more time right the whole adage work smarter not harder why put together a report that maybe takes you hours to do when an automation can do it and then and then it's a lot less you know we have human error when we're putting things together we're getting pulled away different different places and then we come back to what we're doing and and there's just higher probability so more automation just using kind of the tools um, that we already have and just trying to use them better I guess I feel like sometimes with nonprofits where, you know, we have all these wonderful platforms and, mm-hmm. and there's so much we can do, but we don't. Uh, yeah. uh, and so I, I just try to use, just try to use them, you know, use them more full, uh, use fully. So yeah. yeah, automation, sorry, automation would be the other big one. Yeah. I like how you position automation though, because I, you know, here at Feather, we have automation built into our platform and, and my previous role automation was a big opportunity but I do think there's a misconception of automation. It's like automation equals email drip campaign. That's what you mean. It's like, no, automation is a business capability uh, that you can implement from, as you mentioned, cleaning up data all the way to sending multi-channel touch points uh, to your supporters or also just making your humans jobs easier. Like knowing when to make a phone call, being reminded, you know, automation can work 24 seven. And as we've learned over the past couple of years, we as humans cannot. And if we do, we're going to be burnt out. And automation is like this sidekick, this super tool. You know, it's almost like those. Uh, um, I love watching the Incredibles. I love Pixar movies, but they have like the super like the belts like, hey, here's my super toolkit. Like that's where automation enhances the human capability to do well and to build more purposeful relationships. It's not a replacement. And that's where I think the narrative around automation goes a little sideways and almost becomes lazy, to be honest. I, I may be calling people out here, but it's like, oh, automation is this. It's going to take our job. So I ignore it. It's like, no, automation is changing the way all businesses operate and have been for 20 or 30 years. We as a sector just have an opportunity now because automation is more accessible in the platforms to be able to do business processes, cultivation enhancing our experience, surfacing insights that matter most at the right time. Like reporting's great, but reporting at the right time is even better. So why not use that? And I think like you're saying, there's so many 
brands and companies that are already doing this, the nonprofits, you know, at some point in time, we're going to, we're going to have to. So you, I guess you might as well either, you know, embrace it now and start learning now, or I guess come in kicking and screaming later. I, I don't know, maybe not, maybe yeah. that's not the case, but, uh, but I do agree. And I think it helps us make her do our, it helps us do our jobs better. Yes. Like we can, we can then see reports and instead of putting the reports together, we can actually, we can actually make decisions based on those reports Yeah. and we can, you know, like you were saying, you can make calls because an automation says, hey, it's time to call so-and-so today because it's their birthday. You know, that that's that's the beauty of it. I think that's what you were talking about. So, I, yeah, I'm with you. What are you missing less in, John? Or maybe what you're even stop, you're going to stop doing altogether. You're like, hey, it's not serving us well. We're done. We're trying to be smarter. And I think uh, this is, I'm going to probably say this very carefully here. And I think this is just where we're at is is with direct mail for us, it's not that we're investing less in it. We're going to try and invest in it smarter. And I think that's maybe a better way to say it because yeah. it's it's still our highest ROI. It's still, you know, it still brings it, like I said, you know, people are still want it. Um, but I think we're trying to figure out how to do it better. Yeah. And, and maybe other people are already there. And for us, we're not quite there yet. But I think, I think that would be the one thing we're, we're trying to kind of just to do better. Yeah. I, and I think that's such a smart, way to look at it. You know, at my prior company, we had a core value that was uh, centered around this idea of build better. And the intention there was just that when we make absolute statements like direct mail is dead, email is dead, TikTok doesn't matter, telethons are irrelevant, events are going to dust. Like all of these absolute statements Mm -hmm. are things that marketers like should never say, you know, you even mentioned it early on in our conversation about emojis and how emojis didn't work, but they could work in the future. And it's always leaving that openness for curiosity, I think is really, really powerful. I really appreciate you sharing, John. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, and I think, I mean, just a, just a sorry, piggyback real quick, then um, I know the other thing that you mentioned telethons, and that was actually one of the things that we changed. Um, so, you know, what we did less of, so we actually, we, but we didn't do less of it, we actually just changed it. So it used to be a fundraising used to be a telethon where you pick up the phone and say, hey, would you donate? And we just changed it because it wasn't working. It, it, for us, it was just not profitable. So it became a, okay, this isn't working, but instead of just not doing it, how can we make it better? And I think, you know, just real quick to speak into it, it's like, yeah, there's there's probably at a point in time where some things just have to stop and you have to be okay with saying, you know what, that's not working. That's not working in the multiple ways we tried. So let's put it aside and let's let's come up with something new. Hey, I'm William Henry. I'm the content marketing manager here at Feather, and I'm here to tell you about an amazing resource we have available for those of you doing purposeful marketing, the in-flight briefing. Every Tuesday, we'll send to your inbox the essential bite-sized information you need to take your marketing strategy from sputtering along to soaring. We think doing purposeful marketing is fun. So even though we'll be sharing a lot of new ideas and linking out to some thought-provoking content, we're gonna make this briefing feel like the most important part of the flight, the snacks. We know you have many options when you fly, so we hope you'll consider joining us in the air. Subscribe today at feather.co slash inflight. That's feather without the E dot co slash inflight. Well, I would love to do a quick lightning round. Do you have a few minutes to do a quick lightning round? Yeah. So the first question we like to ask all of our guests is, what is a book on or relating to marketing you wish you read earlier in your career? Uh, Donor Retention, Roger Carver. Absolutely. That's a great one. We'll link to it in the show notes. 
The second question is, what is your go-to marketing axiom? You know, what's something you kind of kind of refer back to often or you remind your team or your colleagues about regularly? Yeah, I know it's cliche and I've already mentioned it, but it's it's work smarter, not harder. Um, yeah, it's practical, which is a big is. deal for us here um, at Feather. Yeah. Well, and, and the other one I would say, I mean, I, you went with lightning. So the other one would be test it. Test it. Yeah. Yeah. Work smarter, not harder and test it, which kind of goes hand in hand. Like, let's not spend so much time pretending we are a wizard and predict the future. Let's just test it. Let's get to action. Let's take a swing. I love it. Last but not least, who are you learning from? You, who do you think is doing exemplary, purposeful marketing, whether it's an organization or an individual? Who are the people you're learning from or kind of looking to uh, that we can share with our, our audience today? Oh, yeah, there's yeah, there's so many. Um, I can go two different ways. So in direct mail, it's been Andrew Olson and Amanda Coward. Good friend. Good friend. Yeah. Great people. Yeah, I I'm not surprised. He's probably been mentioned numerous times here, but the, the man is very gracious with his time and his expertise. Uh, so, yeah, Andrew, Amanda Cowart, I think for the digital space, uh, David Schwab as well. I'm always learning from him from an email standpoint, email marketing, but not nonprofit. Uh, there's quite a few. I, I have Jordy. Probably can't pronounce his last name. He's from the Netherlands. Uh, <laughs> what org is he with? So if someone was looking him up, Jordy with who? Is he just an individual consultant? He's a or? consultant. He's an email consultant. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry about yeah. that. Uh, no, that's and great. And then uh, let me see if there's any. Yeah, I mean, there's just, I feel like every day there's just so many people out there who are so much better than I am at this stuff that Chad White is another email uh, person that I follow, not in the nonprofit space, but in the, the for-profit space. And, and again, a lot of this stuff, that I learned is it's like, okay, how can I take this and apply it and adapt it to the nonprofit world, which I think is very important for us to do. Yeah. I love that. And I think, I think even the, the tapestry of people and kind of capability anchors you provide like, Hey, direct mail over here, digital, this email, this, it just is a great reminder to all of us is that we're all learning. Like, and we all can look externally to learn probably more than we can do inside a zoom room or on a white paper or on a whiteboard, uh, like go out and observe, like look at your inbox, look how, you, what you respond to in your feeds. And it doesn't always have to be a nonprofit. It can be a for-profit. You know, I feel like I learn every day from brands that are just random. Someone mentioned the other day that they said they got a t-shirt and what they loved was that the t-shirt came with a tag with a sticker on the back that they could put on their water bottle. And it was just like something simple, but it's that like they were using something you got for free to then give you something else to rep the brand. And it's like those little experience things can make a huge difference, you know, or subject lines even. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I think the hub, HubSpot world, we call it delight, right? It's just those little things that just kind of bring you delight that you wouldn't expect it. Yeah. And that's right. I think that's what brings us those donors back time and time again. It's Yeah, I'll mention one last thing. Like we sent out an email to a group of people, like four or 500 people that shouldn't have gone out. And I sent a personal apology email, two sentences. I got more replies and booked a demo for our platform through the apology email. And it's like, also just showing up and being human sometimes is just like, it works. You know, <laughs> we all are human. Yeah. And people want that. They really, really do. And I think, you know, you've touched on a key point there now it's, is they really want that authenticity, um, you know, and emails come from brands and they come from, uh, but when you can, when you can be vulnerable, it really resonates with people. You're, you're so right on that. We'll end on that. Be human, be vulnerable and quote John, 
test it <laughs> and get after it. I love it. John, it's always a pleasure reconnecting. And it's, I'm excited to continue to follow you and your work and your learnings because I know you're super gracious in sharing. So if you're interested, definitely check out John on LinkedIn. He's always sharing the learnings he's having. So John, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for being in the studio. Thank you for the time and, and thanks for inviting me. always appreciated kind of the laser focus compassion has on their fundraising model, even though, you know, there's critiques and criticisms of it, but it's like, they've never wavered. Like, it's like, this is our strategy. This is our approach. And there's a lot to, I think there's more to be learned from that than to criticize. So I'm, I've always yeah. been a fan. Right. And they're very successful, right? I mean, um, they're a, a yeah. huge organization. Um, yeah, I, I, they're probably close to a billion dollars, right? They were up there at like the 600, 700, 800 when I was back in the day. I'm sure they're growth up in that billion dollar club um, now. Yeah, and they do a lot of just a lot of cool things. I, I've heard I so I know a few people who work at Compassion. Um, just just they do a lot of AI and a lot of just just it's for me a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement, a lot of fun, like like to, to be kind of a part of that. Uh, not quite so much grassroots, but, um, yeah, <laughs> but it is, yeah, it's, yeah, they, they have quite yeah. a, quite a, they built quite a program there for sure.